Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, for more information on Michael, myself, or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. Today is Recovery Wednesday. It's April the 20th, 2016. We're going to open this up with a song, If We Only Had Love. If we only had love, then tomorrow will dawn, and the days of our years. Rise on that morn If we only had love To embrace without fear We will kiss with our eyes We will sleep without tears If we only had love We can melt all the guns And then give the new world To our daughters and sons If we only have love Then Jerusalem stands And then death has no shadow
And so now welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. And uh, welcome to the show, everyone. Of course, today is Recovery Wednesday. And we specifically, and I thank Johnny Mathis for his awesome voice. The uh, sound came across a little bit funky, but, uh, but I suspect you got the message. And uh, so thank you, Johnny Mathis. Johnny Mathis for that uh, awesome rendition and if you want to catch it you can listen to it more clearly on YouTube but to uh, to recognize the truth of who we are and that the reminder that the root of all healing is when we get to experience ourselves as the human beings that we are you know, Gail on Recovery Wednesdays has reinforced over and over and over again that uh, whatever it is we're addicted to, it's a sign of a deeper spiritual problem. And the spiritual problem, there's only one. There's only one problem. We separated from our connection to source. And, of course, the mind searches for a thousand solutions. The mind tries to figure it out and figure it out and figure it out and figure it out when it can't be figured out. The bottom line is that if the mind is in insanity, and our definition in this work of insanity is a mind that is functioning without the presence of love, then the restoration to love will reorganize the insanity and heal. It's not something we need to figure out. There are a whole series of tools in this work and in the 12-step work that have been provided to support people in experiencing themselves as love and presencing that love for each other. And there's the, uh, the awesome power of community. So if we nourish, our, nourish ourselves in a reasonable way and keep moving out of the states of hostility and fear, uh, if uh, Camille's out there, she had suggested a movie to Jeannie and I called City Lights, and uh, we watched it the other night, uh, Andy Garcia. And uh, just, uh, it, it's such a picture, a typical picture of the non-human insanity that has impacted our culture and our world. And the, the simple restoration to love takes all of the rage and all of the guilt and all of the years of secrets and hiding and lies and lies upon lies. In fact, one of the songs in the movie is you tell one lie, then you got to tell two, and then you got to tell a third to cover the second and the first. And, you know, it's just on and on. And there's no way to figure all that out. The bottom line of every tool that works is can we be restored to the active presence of love? You know, back years ago, when I would look back over the the uh, previous years of doing this work and wondering and looking at how how did this happen? How did this so-called miracle, this thing where this person could never have worked their way out of this relationship mess or their uh, disease condition or their emotional psychosis, their you know whatever? And what became clear to me was that each time that we could get something that was hiding, something that was locked down under the veil of denial to come forward in the active presence of love. And we, we don't have a definition of love that comes from words because you can't put that into words. 
But if you've ever held a newborn child, you know exactly what love is. And it is the active activity and restoration to that state that totally reorganizes itself and the mind and the emotions and life around that presence of love. So when we talk about recovery, we're looking at recovering that state of being. And you look at the uh, the words of that song, if we only love, and the the genius of the authors to uh, to recognize that. And, and and I love the line, and the days of our years will rise on that moment. The day we discover the active presence of love, the days of our years will rise on that morning. What does that mean? It means that all the insanity of all the years of trying to figure it out will melt off. And we then can embrace ourselves and each other without fears. And then you think about the energetic dynamics of perception and the line that says, we will kiss with our eyes. Literally, what our eyes think they're seeing are nothing but perceptions that are spraying energy onto the people we perceive and the people around us. When that perception is based in love, we will literally be kissing everyone we look at or appear to be looking at. And the miraculous thing is they will appear to change. So that's what we're here to deal with. That's what we're here to bring forward with all the wisdom and insight that uh, comes from these genius minds that have worked with the uh, with the 12-step program and with recovery. Uh, we appreciate everybody that's involved in the conversation. And uh, let's say a quick hello to Dr. Tim. I know he had a couple of things to share with us from last night's support group. Tim? I'm here. Can you hear me well? You're loud and clear. Okay, you were you and and Jeannie both were rather faint earlier on. Your 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 volume's gone up a little bit, so I just wanted to make sure hmm, I could okay. be heard. I'm uh, I'm happy to report that uh, we had another lively support group last night, and um, we watched the last 15 minutes of the first half of Empowered to Heal simply because. To my eye and ear, that last 10-minute segment where you draw the wavy lines on the board to try and explain the quantum energy and how the quantum potentials collapse when we add our mind energy to it is critical to understand in every part of this work, and it's beautifully laid out in that video. And then we watched the second hour of that video, and the first thing I wanted to report is that I had to stop the video and announce to people that we just heard Dr. Michael Rice, this had to be over 20 years ago, that that version of Empowered to Heal was recorded, maybe maybe more than 20 years ago. And we heard you say, after talking about adding mind energy to the quantum potentials, how it collapses the potentials into the realities that we perceive. And then we heard you say, the media talks about how, with all of the horrors and violence that they're putting in the movies and the television, that they're only reflecting what the culture is offering or what's in the culture or the reality of the culture. 
And you said, but it's so much more than that. And I stopped the video and said, this is the plot line for the movie Tomorrowland. And this video was recorded by Dr. Michael Rice at least 20 years ago. So then I had to Actually, explain to people. About 27, Jim. Pardon me? I was done in New or- it was done in New Orleans, and it's probably 27 years ago I did that video. So, so if you watch that, you'll hear yourself predict the plot line for the movie Tomorrowland. I'll have the to give actual, you a listen. The actual core of the plot of that entire movie is that what they were projecting was actually creating realities and the future rather than just reflecting what's there. So that was one thing. That was one thing, and and it was startling how how it struck me, and I just shared it with the group, and then people had to learn about the movie Tomorrowland, etc., the other thing to say about last night's group was that we had an hour of very lively discussion after that video, <clears throat> excuse me, after that video finished, and there were several different themes, but one of them that I wanted to mention was that one of our longtime members made a statement that implied that without that group, she couldn't have done what she did, and that the group did this for her. And and she was presenting it in a way that was making herself less than someone else that she found out about who came to a deep realization without any exposure to the group work. And what I tried to point out to this person is that the group didn't do her work for her. And it was difficult to get that point across. Now, the group is another powerful tool. The energy of these loving people in community is a powerful tool. And many people come into that group and reject it. They reject the tool of the worksheet process. They reject the tool of the community and the loving support. And they come and go, and they're not changed at all, and they don't keep coming to the meetings, and they don't do any worksheets between the meetings, etc. The key in the discussion, what I, I, I didn't, it started hitting me in waves, deeper levels of realization throughout the night after I'd left the group. And I, I think it's safe to say that most of the people in that group didn't realize what we were talking about here is the other side of the coin of being a victim. So when I say somebody else hurt me, somebody else offended me, somebody else caused me to be angry or depressed, it's the same thing as saying this group saved my life or this worksheet process did the work for me or or made me look at these things the same kind of thing that Jeannie and I were talking about back probably October 1st, or maybe it was February 1st of this year. We need to understand people don't make us feel angry, and people and events don't make us feel happy. Nobody else is going to come save my life. Everybody has to do their own work. 
And it was just at deeper and deeper levels that this discussion was hitting that. So anyway, that's my input. Sorry about that phone call. And I know we're in recovery Wednesday. I just wanted to get those two things in. Well, they're right on track, of course, with the whole idea of recovery. So, uh, so we're we're on uh, on go with the whole process. And I wonder if Gail's with us today. Let's say hello if she is. Hold on. Jeannie, do we have Gail today? I am switching back over. I was typing in the chat room. Um, Gail, if you're on there, please hit one. There's a whole bunch of numbers, and nobody has their hand up. Or Dr. <coughs> or Terry, or anybody else who, okay, 618, you're on the air. I am. <laughs> I am with you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciated the, um, the introduction today. So Cool. Well, anything exciting on your mind for Recovery Wednesday? I wanted to to tie in um, Suzanne Tucker and her being in on the show um, yesterday into today's, and then and then talk about um, uh, I guess how the laws of living are impacting me. I guess that's what's going exciting for me. Great, let's go for um, it. Okay, gotcha. Um, yesterday's show. Um, uh, when I first heard, um, when I was first on, uh, well, when I first listened to um, Mindshifters Radio back in 2014, um, on uh, I believe it was November 3rd, it was on a Monday, it was Parent Teacher um, Monday, and I was very much impacted by what she had to offer and what you had to offer on that show, and I um, was another tool. Before that, I had been introduced to your work via um, Dale Allen Hoffman, and then read the book um, from the uh, from the website, and then made that commitment just like Richard did in the book um, to go into the desert for 40 days to do five worksheets a day, and to do that. And then I listened to the show, and I wanted to be a part of this, but I'm thinking, how could I be a part of this? And I am so grateful to be a part of this, you know, less than a year later to be able to do Recovery Wednesdays and to have something to offer to this process is amazing. And I have deeper gratitude than I can express um, for that. So thank you so much for allowing me to be of service and to offer um, what I have to offer, which is recovery and um, from a 12-step um, perspective. So that is awesome. Thank you so much. Well, congratulations on your creative ability and creating that result. And we certainly appreciate all the input that you've given us. It's been really uh, insightful and uh, given everybody, I think, another level of understanding of this whole process of healing and another set of tools to, uh, to have eyes to look at it. Gotcha. And I also, I didn't say this yesterday when I called in to talk to Suzanne. Um, if she's on the line, I want to say congratulations on her creative process as well for having those tools um, available for families um, to be able to make those connections. And I wanted to tie that into 
she was talking about the addictive process that children that come home to like an empty house or don't have that connection to family and and to their parents and talking about their day um, most definitely does lead to addiction. Um, children reaching out for something to anesthetize that pain and instead of being able to talk about it or to become up with come up with creative solutions um, for what has happened at school. And I most definitely didn't have those tools. Um, I was raised by a single parent. My parents um, got divorced when I was five. I was at babysitters all the time. Um, first thing in the morning, getting woke up and going to a babysitter. Uh, the babysitter would basically have us watch TV in the morning um, and we'd be down in the basement watching TV and we'd walk to school. And then we would um, walk home from school and um, basically would wait until my mom would pick me up at 5.30 in the afternoon. And she was stressed out about her job and what she was doing. And there wasn't a whole heck of a lot of conversation at the table to talk about each other's day. And then she would, um, she was also going to school or she um, belonged to different organizations where she would have to be gone at nighttime as well. And so I'd have a teenager watching me at night. And so I, I definitely think that that, um, is a is a part of my addictive process as well as trying to find something to fill that void um, by not having those connections and so uh, um, the products that she has come up with and that's amazing to me that um, that she would have those available and I'm most definitely going to participate and buy a set for myself and a set for um, my daughters, my one daughter is a, a school teacher or gonna is going to school to be a school teacher. I've already given her Julie Haverstick's book and um and my daughter that is the mother of my um my grandson, most definitely um to give her some tools. Um because I didn't necessarily have the best tools either, you know, raising them. Um, I thought I did better. I think I did better. Um, but this could be a tool to most definitely um, to start to heal. Cool. Awesome. Well, you uh, you kind of rattle some brain cells for me that I haven't uh, haven't looked through in uh, many years. But back about it was actually before Heartland. I was still in South Florida. And I started to develop a process that I called matrix therapy back then. It's just many other things, a center and being on the road kind of got in the way and it was never a completed project. But back then what became clear to me was, and it ties in with our song, If We Only Have Love, is that we are designed, of course, hold the newborn child and you have the essence of love. You have a human being that is literally the presence of love. And what became clear way back then was that the birthright of us as individuals is to experience ourselves and everybody with whom we have contact with as love. And that it's, it's like a, a vitamin. If I, if I come into the world and I experience myself as the presence of love, and then in resonance with that, I experience my father 
as the presence of love. That feeds me. That gives me an energy, a nutrient. I experience my mother as the presence of love. That feeds me and gives me a nutrient. If I experience my older sibling as the presence of love, the next-door neighbor, the doctor, the lawyer, the Indian chief, the neighbor, as the presence of love, each of those literally contributes a nutrient or an energy to my state of being. And as I grow as a child, I am gathering these nutrients continuously, or at least my birthright is to be doing that. And then just like the flower, you know, if you, if you have a flower and you plant it in soil that's got all the nutrients it needs, the flower is never going to need to struggle to become a flower. It's just going to do that. If there are important ingredients, important nutrients missing, then the flower can never fully develop, never fully ripen, never fully put off the fruit that it's designed to do because there are foundational energies missing that produce the end result. And so recognizing that in each situation, and you know, the whole thesis of the worksheet is when I'm in a perception, when I'm in the forgiveness process, when my perception is missing a nutrient called love, and I can collapse that and bring forward the active presence of love, having engaged in that as a practice, we talked yesterday about the love exchange, that if I engage in that as a practice and I bring forward the presence of love, each time I collapse a perception based in some form of hostility or fear, I collapse into the original energetic pattern that lacked that nutrient. And by bringing love present, I get to feed that nutrient into the depth of the soil of my being. And ultimately, there comes a point when one gathers sufficient nutrients, that is, goes into enough places within them and replaces the hostility and fear energetic dynamics with the birthright of the presence of love, then we naturally flower as human beings. We naturally come forward. No struggle needed. We just live in that space of that sweet presence of love that we're designed for. And you look around at the world. I mean, you just look today at the political process. You hear the viciousness and the slander and the gossip, and you see the pain and the trauma and the lack of that presence of love that every, virtually every one of those candidates has gone through. And you recognize that virtually everyone in our world is trying to fill that hole with something whether it's, you know, the billionaire with their money and I'm going to get more money and more power and more fame, or, you know, it's the drug addict with their drug. It's, it's the same thing. It's all addiction. And to recognize that if I am addicted to something, it's because I'm lacking the presence of love. It's some space within me. And the only tool I know of that reliably, consistently, persistently allows me to go in and repair that part of my mind, that part of my physiology, that part of my emotions is the forgiveness process. It's this genius mind, Yeshua, developed it 2,000 years ago. And for anybody that's listening, if you're new to the show and you haven't accessed the forgiveness process yet, we invite you to go to our website, www.whyagain.org. And in the middle of the page, there's a bullseye. Click the bullseye. 
it'll open a whole series of links. And then there are, our show is here. If you need help with that, if you need support, if there are questions in doing the wake-up sheet process, moving forward with your work, that's what this show is about. That's why we're here five days a week, and that's why there are um, better than five years of archives behind us now that you can go listen, 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 and understand the tool of forgiveness and all of the corollary tools that have been developed and return to the truth of being. And so thank you for triggering those brain cells and bringing that, uh, that whole memory forward. And maybe that's something I need to, I still have, I've got my old writing on that. I probably need to dig that out and spin one more plate and bring, bring that project to completion too. Oh, what fun, what fun it is. Thoughts from anyone? Dr. Tim? Gail? Jeannie? Any hands up? No, we well, don't have I'm, any hands up. No questions in the chat room. Well, when I Dr. hear... Tim started to say something. Go for it. When I hear Gail speak, um, I'm, I am never having met her. I am resonating with a sense that Gail is a highly sensitive individual. And especially as she was talking this last time about her origins, it just made me think of this book I'm now reading by Matt Kahn, K-A-H-N. And Matt is one of those highly sensitive people. And the title of the book is Whatever Arises... Love that. <clears throat> and in this work, Michael might change that slightly to say, whatever arises, bring your essence of love to that. So in the moment, tap into the awareness that you are love and there is nothing but love, and you bring that awareness to the moment. So, Gail, I just want to recommend that book to you, or you might go to YouTube just to get a taste of it before you tap into that book. Matt Kahn has um, a, a relatively short video with that title, Whatever Arises, Love That. And it might be a, an intro for you to see if it's something you might be interested in. And the essence of it is the same as the essence of this work. I, I bring my, true, my, my awareness of my true nature as the energy of love into an experience in order for me to heal. And as I do that, it has a side benefit of healing everybody since we're all connected. So without having the specific tool, he's talking about the very same process, returning my focus of my, the focus of my awareness to my true nature as this essence of creative energy and love and then extending that in every moment, and that's what this book's about. Okay. Powerful, and the uh, the things that are there to be healed are all the perceptions that come up. I mentioned very briefly yesterday, and because we had a pretty uh, intensive conversation about the uh, peacemaker cards that uh, Suzanne Tucker has created, uh, didn't really get to speak much about that. But the idea of where we point our perception, and that you know we can we, we we've been the non-being self has been programmed with the conversation about love. And then it, it points its perception that it says is loving. For instance, it might say nice words. 
at someone, but pointing perceptual energy towards someone that has nice words in it isn't love. And you'll notice that the average person who's, who's doing that, that 30 seconds later when this person frustrates a goal that they have and that goal causes hidden hostility or fear to come forward that one then points the perceptual hostility or fear at someone with vicious disregard for the fact that 30 seconds earlier they were talking about how much they quote unquote loved them and we've been given this false picture of love as being a verb and something that we do and just just recognizing that the the work is really about again in this moment in this moment in this moment, in this moment, in this moment, allowing myself to reconnect with the truth of being, the truth of who I am, and bring that forward through my physiology, and building perception and pointing that perception at, uh, at the world brings healing to the world. So it's just interesting how it all just kind of ties together, and that the essence of the solution is right there inside of every one of us. Great song out there. It's in every one of us. And when we can collapse, which is what forgiveness does, that non-being self, that's when we're restored to the truth of who we are. And someone who's in the throes of an addiction, you know, one of the beautiful aspects of community, and we've talked several times about the movie, and it's got some rough edges in it, but um, thanks for sharing. And the power of community, when somebody's getting ready to fall and, you know, they're in so much pain, the addiction is there, being able to pick up the phone and call that support person and that support person just holding the space or knowing how to speak words, and words are a big key in this process, to quiet down the trauma body with its drama and trauma and bring forward the active presence of love, the the sponsor, the support person, the coach, the, the person who can stand there in and as that space of love. It's just so powerful to have that kind of community available. And, uh, of course, that's part of what uh, our show is here to do is to provide that support space. Jeannie? Yes, we do have a hand up, but we have a question in the chat room. And they said, when I find that I'm addicted to something, does that mean that I am lacking something and that something is love? And I was just getting ready to type in there that actually the addiction was a behavior to cover the pain. But if you would go into that a little more and give some explanation, and then we'll take the call on Sure, sure. Yeah, my take would be when I've got and, – and in this work we define – Addiction as the compulsive use of any person, place, circumstance, substance, or activity to keep from feeling and following my highest guidance, which some people might call conscience, or to keep from dealing with, communicating about, and cleaning up whatever is going on inside of me, usually some form of pain. And so they're the drivers to addiction. So when that's happening... What, what takes place is one reaches for whatever they've experienced as an anesthetic, something that will take their attention off of their pain or bury their guidance system. And so the, the, the root problem is the presence of an energy that hurts. The solution to that, of course, that energy that hurts would never be there if we had 
if we'd only had love in every interaction in our lives. If we had a fulfilled birthright, I experienced my dad as love. Jesus dresses up and the chips are down and dad turns to me and he says, son, you know, I disapprove of what you did, but come here, let me hold you rather than I've got a belt and I'm going to beat your butt. You know, our birthright was to experience a dad that held us even in his disapproval, that he was empowered enough to function as the presence of love, a mom, a sister, a brother, a neighbor, a priest, a minister, a rabbi, a therapist, an acquaintance on the street, you know, that, that we each, in each interaction, that was our birthright. And we, out of that, there was some sort of genetic pain that was resonated or activated when we didn't get that and or we made something up or took on an energy from the world around us. We, we saw it, we replicated it inside of us. And so the addiction is about trying to cover that. Our offering is that the solution is that when I can bring, I, I always have and nothing has ever touched the truth of who I am as love. It may be covered up by my rage, my guilt, my grief, my hostility, my fear, my sadness, my gossip, my slander, whatever it is. It may be covered up, but the truth is that's always present. And the idea of the wake-up sheet is to wake up to that fact and to bring love present to that part that holds the void that is so painful. And filling that void literally transmutes the energy of pain and replaces it with the active presence of love. So it's like being restored to our birthright each time we forgive, bringing love present to whatever that circumstance or situation was, and recognizing that perhaps we're the first generation in who knows how many, hundreds or thousands of generations, that is realized that love isn't something we do, it's what we are, and that we always have the capacity to bring that forward. Whatever our drama and trauma is, whatever the horrible thing is that happened, whatever the terrible loss was, whatever the disgusting behavior was that we did or was done to us, we always have the ability to take a breath, uncover the truth of being, and bring it into the space. And so that restoration to being, bringing the state of being forward, forward again, fully into the physiology, in the presence of the trauma, because the trauma is always based in a lie, the trauma dissolves, the trauma dissipates, the trauma disappears. Now, if I'm only at a vitality level of five, and I have an issue where I have a level 10 trauma, then I can only transmute or heal up to that level five vitality which means that tomorrow if I get to a level six, here I am, I'm back in the same boat as I was yesterday. What happened? I thought I healed this issue. Well, you did heal your trauma up to a level five around that, but your level 10 trauma, if it had surfaced when you were at a level five vitality, literally the detoxing of that, the energetic release, could literally physically kill you or send you into an asylum. And so the body-mind unit has a protect mechanism. It's not going to allow that to happen. So it's only going to be able to process, and in this work we define process as the ability to keep love conscious, active, and present when something less than love comes up. So we can only process to depth the level we are in height. 
So when I get to a six, I'll be able to deal with my level six trauma around that. When I get to a seven, I'll be able to go to depth of seven, eight, nine. And that's why Yeshua, when he says, you know, is when they ask him, you know, is, is, is it enough if I do seven worksheets around this issue? And in Aramaic, he says, no, he says, you're going to do 77 times 70, which is not a literal number. It's an infinite number of times. You're going to forgive an infinite number of times until you've gone to the very depth of your genes of those traumas that hold that which is less than love. And again, the fact that we're perhaps the first generation has really recognized that we don't do love, we are love, and we have the ability to bring that present. We're literally going to be opening, you know, Jeannie's uh, book title. We're actually at a bookstore right now and looking at, um, you know, taking her book cover. We've got it pasted on a book and putting it on the shelves and just kind of looking at it and eyeballing it and see how it looks and how it feels there. But healing generations and doing that one breath at a time. And so that's what we're here to do. And so that would be my input if there's any other question from the chat room on that. Okay, awesome. And we do have a hand up. It's area code 760. You're on the air. Hi, it's Anne in Florida. Hello. Well, hey there, young lady. Welcome. Good to hear your voice. Hey, thanks. Well, and that's awesome. I'm just going to talk to, uh, mention that, well, it's awesome to have Gail as my accountability partner as well because of the 12-step stuff I've been through too, but not the same. Um, but then just listening to what you said to answer the chat room question was also just added more, you know, and beneficial. And um, I was relating to Dr. Kim's um, info on the Empowered to Heal because that's the one I was watching um, the last couple nights and I'd fall asleep. Um, but I'd get further and I got further last night and that was the thing that he was describing was resonating with me as well, where you drew the lines and, you know, collapsing um, um, the stuff down to, what was it, a molecule or particle or something. But um, it's that visual just really, really helps me. Um, but I can testify to the addiction thing. I went from... You know, it started back the alcohol, the sexual thing way back when, but I wasn't thinking I was addicted until I couldn't quit watching the television, and I was using that to cover my pain of dealing with caregiving my mother and all the triggers that were happening with that, and I didn't, I shouldn't say I didn't have the tools, I didn't use the tools from back when I was at Jeannie's workshop three years ago, um, so I've done worksheets on that, and, but recently I'm, I'm shifting so that I don't want that to deal with the pain that the worksheets are waking me up and I'm getting some of that that I don't have to go to that. So I only use the TV um, just because the laptop doesn't quite as work quite as well with the DVDs. But when I get an opportunity, I use the TV only for that. And I know that once that's over or I wake up from falling asleep that I'm, you know, that's all. I'm not using any um, program, not looking at anything else, because there's nothing on that television that gives me that gets me to my state or um, is working to get me to my state of love, coming from love. There's nothing on those programs, nothing, even the old classics, which I was addicted to. So um, that I just appreciate this, and I appreciate my 
Gail's patience and also her feedback and her kudos. And, you know, and I was able to give my own self the, a pat on the back yesterday because I went right to a worksheet from a comment um, that my husband made that I didn't even think would bring anything up, and it did. So it's awesome. Just wanted to throw that in there. Cool. And one of the things that happens, too, especially if we've got any kind of alcohol and drugs in the background, is that there's going to be a time period of unconsciousness, of literally just going blotto and having to process that out. You know, the molecules of those substances are still in the cell, and we're able to access whatever we've anesthetized with that substance then the body starts to process through the layers of that substance. And and there is some time that's just spent just being kind of blotto. And, of course, it's also, I think, really important to recognize that the release of those old storage, uh, those old energies stored is a part of the process and to stay conscious so that uh, if, uh, if those let's say, for instance, someone who's been engaged in alcohol, when they break through a big pattern, something they've maybe drank and drank and drank for years around, then the release, the energetic release of alcohol, for some people is going to look like a craving because that energy is moving. And so just being aware, oh, boy, I I realize I just went through a big one. I'm probably going to maybe get a craving too, and I'll just breathe through that, do a worksheet, and just you know carry on rather than falling prey to this energy is now moving in my system. Oh, it feels like alcohol. Oh, I feel like I need a drink. Being able to just say, oh, I got it. I can let go of that and know that that's part of the process. I think uh, saves a lot of people from uh, falling off the wagon. Wow. So, but that that's the exact thing that I felt with the television. So it can do it yeah. with anything, then, right? Any anything, absolutely. It's all energy. It's all energy. Wow. And you know, when I when I go to a craving, that's when I want to breathe. That's when I want to do all of the above to keep uh-huh. moving beyond the energy that's attempting to take charge of my mind from within. Oh, that's awesome. Ah. <sighs> More light bulbs just bright all over the place. That's cool. Oh, thank you, thank awesome. you, thank you. Blessing. Delighted. Glad to be on the team. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Talk to you later. All right. Blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Any thoughts for you, Gail? you got lots of accolades there. Nice work you're doing. <laughs> I I want to give the accolades back. You made a commitment to be accountability partners the moment that I got home um, from the intensive and back in March. And she needed an accountability partner, and we made the agreement to talk to each other daily. And we have talked to each other daily um, since then. And that's pretty amazing. That commitment right there is huge. And I've experienced that on the level of being a sponsor, asking people to call me daily, especially for the first 30 days to get into the habit of talking to somebody else and reaching out for help and getting into that habit. And a lot of people refuse to do that. Um, believe it or not, um, they want to call you when they're in trouble, <laughs> you know, instead of calling you on a daily basis and being accountable and talking about, um, you know, what they're thinking, what their thoughts are, and making that commitment to go to a meeting a day as well. So Anne has called every day um, 
and and she's keeping me on my toes as far as defining goals and going through the worksheet every day and um and that's what happens in the sponsorship sponsor sponsee relationship if people ask me a question in the 12 step arena um it might prod me to look something up in in the literature to be able to answer that question or to ask my sponsor the the question so um helping somebody else is always a benefit to the person that is giving that help and and I've I've learned a lot through this process by working with Ann on a daily basis so um the other thing that I want to mention too is that um when she left the codependence interdependence uh workshop um you talked about her will score, I think being in crisis or, or being pretty low. And you attributed that her will score being low um, to being her struggle to get things done. And I would say making this commitment to, to call every day and, and going through the worksheet and, and letting go of all that stuff that is in her unconscious I think she's raised her will score significantly because she's been able to get a lot of things accomplished. So those, awesome. those are those are my comments. And of course, the uh, the whole idea of the mind goal management sheets is to strengthen will uh, through practice and uh, and to utilize that sheet as a way to strengthen all aspects of will so that that so-called muscle can be developed. And uh, and if you're still listening. You know, you've still got a uh, an evaluation available to you from the intensive. And so if you wanted to do that, you can just go to uh, yagain.com. That's the letter yagain.com. And sign in with your sign-in information and go ahead and do that. And let us know and give you feedback and let you know where that's going and uh, where your next challenges might be if it's time to do that. So, awesome. Well, Dr. Tim, any thoughts for you, sir? Were you just saying whyagain.com? Yes, we, we, have, we have the letter whyagain.com is where we have the uh, personal code evaluation set up. So it's not, not of course, our website, whyagain.org, but the, uh, just the evaluation doesn't work on our whyagain.org site. We've got a different one set up, and it's the letter whyagain.com. And, of course, people have to be registered for that and all to be able to use it, but... For those who've done intensive, they're there to be done. All right. Thanks Michael. for that clarification. Go ahead, Jeannie. Yes, Jeannie. Uh, I was just going to say, um, I think that's really good, too. Anne mentioned that her, uh, you know, things like that, that her current addiction had been um, television. And so I think a lot of people don't even see that as being a drug. And she was talking Breaking about up, it during Jeannie. the intensive. Okay. I'm not sure what's going on. We do have two callers. Well, let's say hello. First one is 970. You're on the air. 970. You're on the air. That's the name. Where are you calling from? We can hear you all. I can hear a lot of uh, moving in the background, 970, but you're on the air. I heard your voice, but we lost you. 
I'll let's try the other caller and see if uh, 970 comes back, sweetie. Okay, the next one is 702. You're on the air. Good morning, Michael and Jeannie. It's Stephen Andrade. Well, hey, Doc. How you doing? Very well. Thank you, Jeannie, for the, all the work that you've done. It, it, the things you do on the website are incredible, and that's the portal for people to go. So I appreciate all, all your efforts. And, Michael, I appreciate uh, all the things that you're doing to make this Recovery Wednesday work out. The uh, the shows have been terrific. I listened to them in the past and like to reiterate just a few things. One is I focus on opiate addiction rather than the other addictions because of the level of significance of approximately 40 people die a day from overdose and that's just unacceptable mostly are young people secondly is the opiate uh, addiction is what i prefer to work with alcohol cigarettes smoking eating are all things uh, all realms that i have opportunity to work with but it's the opiate addiction that i think is most important and where i focus my work on so Usually when I'm speaking, I'm uh, going to be skewed towards opiates or opioids. Okay. Michael, do you have your mute button on? So, Jenny, you can hear me? Yes, I can hear you fine. I'm not sure what happened to Michael. Um, he, maybe he's got his mute button pushed or something. Um, but, yeah, we're here to just thank you very much. Thank you for, for acknowledging the the page. I was hoping that that was what you wanted. Well, I think it's what people are going to want. Uh, it's somebody who's contemplating stopping such an addictive substance as uh, opioids, which uh, go through – Times when people say, I can stop, and people can stop smoking for a while, and then they have craving to go back. But the withdrawal symptoms become, as most people experience, is unbearable, and they just can't continue that. It takes a big breakthrough to go through the withdrawal symptoms and stick with it. So it's just a little bit different than some of the other addictions, and we attempt to keep people engaged with, uh, in some cases, medication. So I certainly don't have the answers. I listened to Terry's comment, and I agree with a certain aspect of what Terry says. Putting somebody on methadone is not a real good program, and I'd like to go back to why methadone was uh, probably created. It helped people from going back to jail because when they got their narcotic, they didn't have to go and steal and to get into trouble to buy their drugs. So the, the social program that methadone came out of was keeping people out of jail and people, keeping people safer. It wasn't really designed as a treatment to get people off. You go, you pick up your dose, you take your dose, you don't go through withdrawals. But there's no structure that states that you have to be going to any type of a program, any type of work. There may be places that do that, but that's not a requirement. In Suboxone, it is a requirement, and we do want people to be doing the work because this is not a long-term program. It's something that prevents them from going into withdrawals. Michael really summarized it very nicely last time, uh, last Wednesday, in that it allows people to do their work. And so that's where this pulls us back to what we're doing now is allowing people to have a program to say, I take responsibility for my thoughts. I take responsibility for my actions. I forgot to go inside my mind and to change these thoughts and these patterns and these behaviors so that I can get back to my true self. 
So that's where this program is so important because it offers a structure that's all I can do is to offer somebody the opportunity for them to do their work, and they can choose any work that they want to do, Salvation Army, AA, NA. They can go uh, into the wilderness and detox on their own. They could go to jail. That's a great place to detox in jail uh, where you don't have the access to medication, and you will detox. The question is what happens when you get out, and that's what happens with all of these programs. What happens when you stop and the craving becomes uh, so strong? Right. I think that is excellent. I mean, the way that you are working with people and moving them through that they have to have an investment in their life, too. It's not just that they come to you and, and get, you know, Suboxone or whatever, that they actually have to be invested in it. And, you know, you are offering them so many things to move them in that direction. You know, we just wish that there were more doctors like you that were actually in that same frame. Well, that's what the goal is. That's what the purpose of this is, is trying to organize and develop a program that this is accessible to anybody who has a Internet connection or a telephone to listen to these programs to, to help them move through this. And also the invitation for ev- everybody, all of the listeners to say, you know, it's time that I take what I've experienced and take what I've learned and to start leading a support group. It's a big step, but everybody's capable of doing it. Jeannie, you know this more than anybody you and michael have seen support groups grow out of people who are just starting and still be successful because when you start doing this and engaging you learn you can teach and this is where you help the people it has nothing to do with the medication it has to do with getting a structure for people to understand that they have opportunities to go beyond what they've created in their mind and what their future is in their uh, in their mind that's pulling them down into the ability to become who they deserve to be and who they were born as. And that's something that, if this is going to be successful, can be something that's ubiquitous in the United States as an opportunity for people to, uh, to go to and searchable and a program that, uh, that everybody's going to be involved in to take this to another level. And in addition to the, the issues of, uh, I, I, real quickly, I had a uh, young girl, she's 21 weeks pregnant, she was addicted to heroin, and she just happened to be living, uh, with my understanding, with, a, uh, with, her, uh, with a dealer. And this is what happens to some young females, they get hooked up with a dealer. And I'm not sure what that's all about, but I I can imagine what sometimes that means. Uh, This is just an unhealthy relationship to be a young female, to be addicted to narcotics, to get them out of that type of a position where they don't need to be purchasing, buying. They don't need to be stealing copper, uh, breaking into houses, et cetera. But more than anything, it keeps people from dying. Forty people are overdosing in a day, and people are dying simply because they're accessing drugs on that we don't know what the concentration is. So that's the ultimate price they pay for their addiction is death. And even if they overdose, uh, an NPR radio, they had a gentleman who overdosed because he had a very strong um, opioid who went back to using a week later. So it's not just stopping. It's just not overdosing. It's what's going on what's going on in their thoughts to make them go back to the same thing. And uh, I know, Gene, that you uh, promote this uh, on a daily basis, that Michael does, that you do this all over the United States. But it's the same point for, for drugs as it is for any issue that anybody's dealing with that uh, takes them out of love. 
that this is one of the ways that I think that we treat addiction or that I prefer to treat addiction. It was the same program that, that you are teaching to, treat, uh, to, to teach people to deal with all of their issues that come up. And I think that it's successful. It's successful in my hands. Certainly not very successful. Uh, there's no problem.